0: I'm uh, from New England, originally from Old England. I'm an Old Englander, now living in New England, getting old. So, um, any Cardinals fans here? I know it's hard to raise your hand. It's just greetings from New England and uh, from our church in New Hampshire. And it's great to be here uh, because I've been coming to this building for years now. And so the leaders here are all good friends of mine, Uh, John and Brian and Kurt and Mike. uh, You know, we all get to serve. I have the privilege of serving on a team with them. So I'm often here, but I've never been here on a Sunday. So it's a real treat for me to come and uh, be able to speak here today. Uh, Sam Poe was a part of this church when it began. He was one of the leaders here. Uh, he's now with us in uh, New Hampshire and I work closely with Sam, love Sam, and uh, they send their greetings, Sam and Marlene, if you know them, uh, they send their greetings to you. I want to um, share something that uh, God's put on my heart and in fact uh, I've been at Mobilize as well and uh, I felt it was confirmed there uh, with a couple of things that were said and I want to start out really by... Uh, sharing a story with you from one of the Gospels, from Matthew's Gospel. You don't need to turn there, it's Matthew 27. But um, it's following the time when Jesus was arrested and put on trial. And Pilate, it says, delivered him up because of the demands of the crowd. He was delivered up to be crucified. And I'd like uh, my friend Abby uh, to come up and to tell us this story, Abby and Deandria, from two young ladies from originally from our church in New Hampshire, they got a free transfer here to St. Louis, and she's going to come and share this story with us.
1: So the soldiers took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and before the whole battalion, they stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him. And a twisting together a crown of thorns, they placed it on his head and a cane in his right hand. Then kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the cane from his hand and struck him on the head. And when they had finished mocking him... They again stripped him, removing the robe, putting on his own clothes, and led him away to be crucified. On the way, they met a man of Cyrene called Simon, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. When they had reached Golgotha, the soldiers offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall to deaden the pain, But when Jesus tasted it, he refused to drink it. So they crucified him. And they divided his clothes amongst themselves by casting lots and sat down to keep watch. And above Jesus' head read the charge against him that said, This is Jesus, King of the Jews.
0: I wonder um, I wonder what spoke to you in that passage, about, in that story about Jesus. It's probably uh, going to be different things for different people, I'm sure. But the thing that particularly struck me uh, when I read that again recently was um, Jesus being stripped naked, his nakedness. I don't know if you kind of heard that in the story. Twice it says there that they stri- the soldiers stripped him, uh, implying that he was stripped naked, and it was in front of this whole battalion of several hundred men it would have been, and you, you know that they weren't there to prevent him from escaping, right? I mean, why were they there? It was to mock him, humiliate him, shame him. And then we're told they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross and they cast lots for his clothing. So it means a third time he was stripped naked. Um, you know, you see paintings of the crucifixion scene and, and usually they allow Jesus some dignity. You know, they'll have him portrayed with a loincloth or something like that. But you know, most scholars will tell you that the Romans crucified people naked. I mean, they, it was part of their shaming. And... Um, So Jesus was put on a cross. He's stripped of all his clothes. He's crucified and he's lifted up. Exposed, vulnerable, shamed before the whole world. Three times it says that he's stripped naked. And I I really believe that repetition is significant. You see, what's it it telling us? What, What does it have to do with us? Everything is the answer, I think. Everything. Jesus, on the cross, um, was punished for us. You know, we, we were singing about it this morning, weren't we? A great exchange took place on the cross uh, where he was punished so we could be pardoned. He was, he was cursed so we could be blessed. He died our death so we could receive his life, eternal life. You know, he took everything we deserved and he gave us everything we don't deserve. Didn't he? Amazing grace. A great exchange took, there, took place there on the cross. But what about his nakedness? What does that say? Now, maybe you don't think nakedness is an issue for you. Let me do a survey, okay? <laughs> Hands up, if you've ever had a dream... Okay, you've had that dream, so have I, I've had that dream, right? If you've had a dream where, in your dream, you find yourself in a public place, and then you suddenly realize, I'm naked, I forgot to put my clothes on. You've had that dream? Hands up, you've had that dream. That's a, quite a number of people. The rest of you just don't remember it, you've blotted that out. I used to have that dream when I was young, I was sitting on a school bus, a recurring dream, I was sitting on a school bus, And on the way to school, all my peers are there, and I suddenly look down, oh, I forgot to put my clothes on. (laughs) What is it about that? Why is that nightmare so common? Because it is. Well, it's speaking of something much deeper that's going on inside every one of us, right? And to find out what that is, you've got to go back to the beginning uh, back to the creation when, when man created man and woman. So I'm going to read now from Genesis. You can turn there if you want in your in your Bibles. Read from. We're going to start at the end of um, right at the end of Genesis 2, where where God um, created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And um, I have to make sure I'm standing right here. I'm going to read from chapter 2, verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both what? And were not ashamed. Right? Everything God made was good, including our nakedness. But then you find in the next chapter, we find the fall, don't we? How the serpent came to Eve, questioned, questioned, what God had said about eating uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said to the woman, you won't die. You won't die, God. God knows that when you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And they believed him and they they ate the fruit of the tree. And this is what it says in Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the court of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? How many of you think God doesn't know where they are? Why is he saying that? Whose benefit is that for? Adam and Eve's, isn't it? Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God says to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Of which I commanded you not to eat. And then we know the story, don't we? How Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) So here is man is hiding from God, avoiding God. Why is he hiding? Right? God's saying to Adam, come on, Adam, let's take a walk. I mean, because there was relationship, there was friendship with God. Let's take a walk. And Adam says, I can't, I'm naked. Now, what's up with that? He was always naked. What's changed? Well, you see, Adam's eyes have been opened, and, and it's not like they suddenly realize, whoa, like in my dream, you know, I've no clothes. It's not about the clothes, is it? What's this about? What's nakedness represent here? It's vulnerability. It's not about being physically naked. It's about being completely known. Right? And to be naked and unashamed means you really have nothing to fear. You've got nothing to be ashamed of because you know you're totally loved, totally accepted. It's how Adam and Eve felt. It's how they were before they decided to become their own masters. You see? They were completely known by God. Nothing was hidden. And they could be open, they could be vulnerable, because they knew there was nothing to be ashamed of. They were totally loved, accepted. That's what it means when it says here in the beginning, they were naked and unashamed. And, you know, we were all created that way. Every one of us here. Made to be known and to be loved. And yet, it's so hard, isn't it, to really bear your soul to another person, to really make yourself vulnerable, isn't it? You know, because we're, we're often so guarded in our relationships. Uh, let me quote Brian Mowry for you, right, from Mobilize. It's one of my quotes from Mobilize. I've just been there. And he said this. He said, vulnerability is the price of true friendship, thought about that, you know, I thought, how many true friends have I got? I mean, I've got loads of friends on Facebook. How many true friends? How many friends have I got I can really bear my soul to? It's hard, isn't it, to be vulnerable? Because you've got to, in a sense, put yourself in their hands. And what if they betray you? What if they reject you? Isn't that why infidelity in marriage is so devastating? Because here you are, you've bared yourself to this other person. You've bared yourself to them. And if they betray you, that is devastating. Or supposing uh, someone puts something on Facebook about you that you really don't want there, something you don't want someone to know about you. You know what that's like? That's why you shouldn't be on Facebook, right? Yeah. Be very careful what you put on Facebook. But people do it to you. That's the problem on your page. You got you had too much to drink last night, and then you regret it in the morning, and then you find there's a picture of you looking, you know, looking like a lush right there on Facebook. How does that make you feel? You feel exposed, don't you? Don't want to show your face in public ever again. Well, that's... How Adam and Eve fell and they hid. It wasn't because they lost their clothes, they didn't have any in the first place. No, they lost their real clothes, their acceptability. All right? Before the fall, they could stand before God without any fear, without shame. Now they fear to be known. And I want to suggest that is true for every one of us. Ever since the fall, because of our sin, we feel flawed feel naked. We've got this need to hide and to cover up. Tim Keller's very good on this, uh, as he is just about exposing the things in our hearts. He's the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, and his comments on Genesis are very helpful. He says this about it. He says, we were made to be known and loved, but because of the fall, we feel we can never be both. See, I think that's quite insightful, you know, because we, we feel if people really knew us, well, they wouldn't love us completely, you know, and so in order to be loved and accepted by the people, we've got to somehow control what people know about us, so we, we can't really be naked and vulnerable anymore, we dare not let people see us as we really are or what we're really thinking, and so we present this image of ourselves, we've got to control what people see of us. So that they will like us. We've got to cover up our nakedness. Are you with me? You're tracking here. That's what Adam and Eve did. You read three different types of cover up here, right? First of all, they use excuses as a cover. In other words, they're blaming each other to cover for their own sin. And maybe you're blaming someone for the way you are, maybe you blame your parents. Or someone who did something to you for the way that you are today, but it's an excuse. We see that they hid behind the trees. If you notice how, when people, uh, you know, when Christians do something they regret, they're ashamed of, how they will often withdraw from the church, from other people. They're hiding. They they don't want to be in a situation where God's gonna speak to them. We see that they they hid behind fig leaves, they covered their private parts up. They didn't because they don't. They couldn't expose themselves to one another anymore. They couldn't be fully known because now they couldn't trust each other because they're blaming each other. Right? That's what sin does. And so trust is gone. And so now they've got, to, they've got to be guarded against each other. But we all do it, don't we? Just, just think about this scenario, okay? You, you're, um, you're having someone you really like over for dinner, someone you really respect, and you get home after work and you're about to prepare a meal, and, but you walk in the door and you suddenly realize oh my goodness, this place is a tip, it's a mess. What do you do? Well, you start getting all this stuff together, and and then you open the closet doors, and you just push it all in there. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Well, you don't want these people to think you're a slob, do you? Right? You want them to like you and accept you. Or you're going on a date, okay, and you really like this person and you want to make an impression and you're going through your wardrobe and you're looking for your best shirt or your dress or whatever it is and you're trying on lots of them and you're looking yourself in the mirror and you know, seeing which one kind of flatters you. Oh, no, you know, no. And you're trying to find, you, cause you want to hide those parts you don't like, right? And, you know, accentuate the parts you, you, you kind of do like and you're trying to control how people see you, right? Don't we all do that? I do it. Right, and then, you know, so you've got your lipstick on and perfume, you know. What are you doing? You don't do that when you're on your own. Because <laughs> you want them to accept you. You're covering up. We all do it. We got pretty good at doing it. Because we, somehow we feel we're flawed, we're, we're inadequate. Are you with me? See, to understand people, you've got to understand this need to cover up our nakedness. That's why, I mean, you know, the, uh, the really confident, funny comedian on the stage can be a total wreck, insecure uh, in private. It's why the school bully, hard exterior, what's he covering for? He's a coward. That's why the, the guy who's driven, the workaholic, driven for success, is actually driven by a need for approval, right? It's all covers for something else, isn't it? I know a, a girl who's always uh, always going on missions with YWAM or whoever and can't stay in one place for too long, can't stay in the same church for more than a year or two, Always, always on the move, but she's running. She's running from something that happened in her past. And she didn't stay still too long in case people really come to know her. She's running from, from something. You know, maybe, maybe there's people here today who are like that. Maybe you've got a secret in your past, that you've never told anyone about. And you've just kind of buried it, just hope it would stay there. But the thing is, it's become a part of your life and it affects your relationships now. I really do believe that God, if that's you, I really believe want, God wants to set you free today. But it's something that we all, in some way, we're all trying to cover up for something, aren't we? All right? And don't you dare take my fig leaf from me. Lance Armstrong. Classic example. His drug-enhanced sports career was just one cover-up after another. And then when... He was threatened with being exposed. I mean, he went after those people with a vengeance, didn't he? That's, I mean, because that's how tight we hold on to these fig leaves. And you know what? Religion is just another fig leaf. And by religion, I kind of uh, mean where man has created a system of rules and values that we need to live by. We often hide behind it. It's kind of like a mask, really. So we project an image of ourselves that we, you know, so we'll be accepted, and this image of morality and righteousness and so on Preachers can be the worst. But we all do it. We all do it. It's why when uh, you've got one of the elders coming around to your house. You hide that trashy romantic novel and you put the Bible out on the coffee table. <laughs> right? I'd do it. Not, not the trashy romantic novel. <laughs> I bet I'm worse than any of you, probably. Who knows? I remember when my wife, Emma, and I, when we moved house and um, I'd been asked to lead this church in, in South London and... We, um, we moved into this new house, and uh, the removal men were bringing all the furniture in, and I was standing out in the back on the deck, which is uh, pretty uh, novel in England to have a deck, and uh, I was proud of this, and my land, and um, so I was there on my deck as they were bringing the furniture and just surveying my land, so like 50 feet of yard on the railway line, but, uh, <laughs> but it was my land, and, uh, and I'd been given this cigar uh, by someone, and there's ever a time you want to smoke your cigar it's like then and so I'd lit up this cigar, big Churchill cigar and I'm smoking my cigar, surveying my land and I hear this voice coming from inside the house Ian! Oh no, it's Dennis Dennis is this uh, older godly man, one of the elders of the church that I was coming to pastor I panicked now you, you don't probably realise, but in England, smoking, whether it's even if you're smoking cigars, pipes or whatever, it's it's kind of more taboo, I think, there than it is here. It's kind of like alcohol is here, really. And so I panicked and I could hear him, he's getting closer, he's about to come out through the French doors onto the deck and I kind of panicked and I put it behind my back like this. (laughs) And, Dennis, it's great to see you. And I start holding this conversation with him. And it's this plume of smoke, kind of. And you can smell that thing for miles. What was I thinking? What was I doing? You see, I'm no different. I just want to be accepted. But you know what? None of it works. doesn't matter what fig leaf you use. It won't change your feeling of nakedness. And the fact that we all have this need to be fully known and fully loved. I don't know if you've seen the film, uh, The Fisher King, where Robin Williams plays uh, the part of a homeless man called uh, Parry. And Parry uh, falls in love with this woman, gets smitten with this woman. She has no clue. And uh, she's the kind of accountant in Manhattan, but he starts to follow her around and watches her and, um, for about a year, and she knows nothing about him. And he realizes she's got problems of her own. She's really kind of awkward, clumsy, um, you know, kind of uh, very painfully shy. Well, one day, Parry's friend, played by Jeff Bridges, uh, who wants to help Parry, he sets him up with a blind date with this woman and he, he dresses him up in nice clothes and he gives him his own wallet so he can pay for the evening and, and so they go out on this date, have a lovely evening and then at the end of the evening, Parry is walking this lady back to her apartment and she realises that he's probably going to want to come up for coffee And so she stops him and she says, you know, I think um, this is probably where it's going to end and um, I don't think we we can see each other anymore. And he says, well, why? And she says, because you'll stay over and then we'll know each other better and in the morning you'll leave and you'll never call again and I'll feel like a piece of dirt. And so Paris says he's got a confession to make. And she says, what? You're married? You're divorced? You've got a disease? He says, no, I love you. And I know all about you. I've, I've known you for a long time. And he explains how he's been watching her and he knows that she is socially awkward and has got no friends and buys these trashy romantic novels and he says, I know all about you and I love you. I love you and if you'll let me I'll call you. And she looks at him and she says, you're real, aren't you? You see, deep down, That's what we're all looking for, is to be fully known and fully loved. But there is only one person who knows absolutely everything about you, who knows not only what you're like, he knows your inmost thoughts, more than any human being could possibly know. He's the only one who sees us as we really are. And this is what it says about him in Hebrews 4.13. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And the truth is that one day, a day is coming when everything is going to be brought into the light. Right? And everything that's hidden will be exposed. And every fig leaf is going to be taken away. All right, the facade is going to be gone. And whatever clothes we've tried to dress ourselves up in to make ourselves more acceptable are going to just be seen for what they are, which the Bible says is filthy rags. But here's the good news. And it's really good news. And this is for real, okay? That God, he not only knows us fully, but he loves us enough to cover our nakedness. In fact, he's the only one who can. And when you read in Genesis, it becomes clear that in spite of man's sin, God does not reject mankind, but has a plan to redeem us. But in the meantime, we read there in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And what that means is, you know, garments of skin means that an animal had to be killed. Blood was shed to provide covering for them. It was the same later on with the sacrificial system that God gave to his people where blood was shed, the blood of a lamb, to symbolically atone for the sins of his people. But all of that was pointing, it's a signpost, it's pointing us to the only one who could fully atone for us and clothe us forever. And the prophet Isaiah he saw it from afar, and he rejoiced. Isaiah 61, verse 10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And that's what the Scriptures promise us, that he will cover our nakedness and that we would wear his own righteousness like a garment. Now, you might say, well, hang on, isn't that just another cover-up? And that's where we have to go back to our story on the cross, because that's where we see that God didn't just sweep our sin under the carpet, actually, he paid for it. Blood was shed for it to atone for our sins. And he dealt with it very publicly so that we could all see, so the world could see the pure, innocent Son of God, stripped naked, crucified as a criminal, exposed, as it were, on the cross for the whole world to see, not even a loincloth, a fig leaf to cover his shame. And why? Why did he endure the shame of the cross? Well, he did it for you and I. You see, if you want to see how much God really loves you, you have to look at the cross and and everything that he endured for you and I. The God himself was prepared to come down and allow himself to be stripped naked, taking all of our sin, all of our shame upon himself. Why? So that we could be clothed in his righteousness. It's this great exchange. Us giving him all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, all of our failings, all of our shame, giving it to him and him giving us his own righteousness, purity as a gift. That is the great exchange. And God was prepared to endure all of that because of his love for us so that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus might know what it is to be fully known and fully loved. Only God could do it, and he has done it. Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross. It is done. All of our sin, all of our shame crucified with him there on the cross so that we could be reconciled with God and experience this joy of being fully known and fully loved. And I really pray that every one of us here today gets that into our hearts. That that if you really know this, it will change your life because it will free you. It will set you free to love others without reservation, to make yourself vulnerable without fear, because you know you are totally approved of, you are totally accepted, you are totally delighted in by the one who matters the most, our Father in heaven. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's what he thinks. That will set you free.